This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. To horror queers we're talking bupsy we're talking sexy jujitsu and we're talking a batfield wedding engagement and i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking um hey y'all the effects of the joker toxin still terrify me <laughs> why because you mean it can melt steel um no uh, the joker face like of the victims of the joker is possibly one of the most terrifying images i've ever seen in my entire life like admittedly this is not a horror movie although it does have a lot of horror elements oh sorry everyone we're talking batman mask of the phantasm but that that the reveal when valestra is like you know the, his the newspaper and boom joker face i literally mm. screamed out loud watching this last night <laughs> yeah really okay so i definitely thought that you were talking about like when he sprays his lapel flower and it melts andrea's blade but I will actually one-up you and say that Valester doesn't scare me as much as what happens to Councilman Reeves. Okay, no, that's fair. Um, yeah, no, the, the, the acid in Joker's flower is not Joker toxin. Joker toxin is the one that makes you laugh. But yes, the Councilman... <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. See, so yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself because, J- Joe, mm-hmm. we both like love Batman. We appreciate Batman. But there is someone out there... I'm, I'm sorry, there's a lot of people out there who probably know more and have more experience with this IP than either one of us, but we do have one of... Oh, undoubtedly. (laughs) But we do have one of them on the show today. So, 
everyone. You've seen her writing at such outlets as Bloody Disgusting, Pajiva, Grim Magazine, What to Watch, Daily Dead, and Comics and Gaming Magazine. She is also the interim co-host of the Pod and the Pendulum podcast. Please welcome Lindsay Travis. Hello! Hi, Lindsay! Thank you for coming on to our non-horror but kind of still horror Batman episode. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm ecstatic. (laughs) Did you wear your tights like we asked you to? My, yeah, of course. My dick grease and butt tights. Yes! Show off that ass. Show off that ass. Right. You can't see it, but (laughs) So, Lindsay, why did you want to come on to this episode tonight? Uh, because I'm the bat bitch and I'm bat shit. Um, so (laughs) I love Batman. That's not a secret to anyone who's, uh ever met me and of course i'm really excited to be on your podcast i've been waiting for this invite for joe and (laughs) i'm slowly working my way through the entire salon crew i'm just gonna be passive aggressive right at the gate Um, i'm gonna pause you really quickly listeners uh, actually patreon listeners especially so joe in the beginning in the first year would always reference his movie going buddy it was always valeska and it was always Lindsay. now valeska's been on the show before she was in our episode on the craft um Lindsay is who Joe went to go see Dr. Sleep with, and we had that infamous fight in our Patreon episode on Dr. Sleep because we very much disagreed on this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Lindsay agrees I know, me, and so it makes me so fucking I mad. Fuck it. <laughs> like, thank God for Joe, because there's been so many times where I've, like, left the theater and had that moment of, like, oh, no, everyone disagrees with you, but you just, like, know that you're right. <laughs> and Joe has been, like, he, like, showed up in my life to be, like, no, Lindsay... I'm like as much Dr. of a Sleep bitch either. as you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, rescued me from uh, disliking popular movies. Um, and I love popular movies. I just mean disliking specific Like Dr. Sleep, which is an amazing, perfect film. Like Dr. Sleep, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> for it's example. just too long. It's just too long. It's so, it's a hundred years. I remember looking over, <laughs> looking over at you. So there is, I mean, I, without veering into Dr. Sleep, there's that whole finale part that's like halfway through the movie and i remember thinking like oh thank god it's the climax <laughs> and it was like a, a, like a rising action like we were nowhere no. near the end no um yeah. but you don't want to watch the three-hour director's cut are you out of your mind like i thought it was a joke <laughs> when someone told me about it i was like <laughs> um i thought it was a joke it shoot me in the face <laughs> yeah like it's not a real it's not a real. Lindsay, i've actually promised trace i will watch it over the holidays Yay! so i have like a couple weeks left to make do on that promise but uh let me know i'll zoom you in and we can just if i'm gonna watch it with anyone it's gonna be you <laughs> okay so bringing it back to batman Lindsay. yes yeah, sorry <laughs> i don't know it's good Dr. I, I did that i did that <laughs> i have two personality traits the first is that i don't like dr sleep the second is that i really like batman that's all you need to know yes. about me well okay so both apply here <laughs> well no so, so joe's known you for a while i've only known you for, i've known you for less than a year mm-hmm. um but yeah what what where does this come from where does this love of batman come from oh my gosh so many places i always really liked um comic book stuff and superhero stuff like I liked Superman briefly as a kid because I didn't know anything. Oh, I'm so boring. boring. I uh, really love and still love Spider-Man. Like, as much as I am very Batman-obsessed, Spidey Mm -hmm. is my boy. And so I love Spider-Man forever. And I kind of just gravitated toward Batman comics for a few different personal reasons. But honestly, I really like the tone and vibe. And I know that everyone kind of looks at Batman as, like, the dark, brooding guy. But I kind of liked how it's much more of a psychological exploration of the superhero type as opposed to just, like, really exciting superheroes. 
superhero stuff. No disrespect to other superheroes. I love them all too. But that's just really where I found myself in Batman. And then I've always been really into villains. So even though I'm like, I love Spider-Man, I really love Venom. I love Batman. I really love Joker. And uh, Joker and Riddler are just like two really, really important characters to me. I could read anything and everything about the Joker. Whenever he shows up, I'm excited. So yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting though, because you definitely seem to gravitate towards the protagonists, like the title characters, you know, Mm -hmm. with Batman and Spider-Man and whatever. (laughs) Which applies to no one. No one ever likes the But that's what I was going to say though, right? Because I mean, I I was introduced to Batman probably through the animated series, which Mm -hmm. makes sense as to why we're covering this particular film. I was always kind of wishy-washy with it because I loved the episodes with the with the classic rogues gallery. I love Poison Ivy. I love the Riddler. I love Clayface, Scarecrow, the Joker. It was all great. I never cared for like Bruce's psychological turmoil or whatever. And I never cared for the gangster episodes. And as Joe and I have talked about a lot on this podcast, I really don't like noir. And the irony is that I do love Batman. And I've recently got into Batman comics w- with your help, Lindsay. Yay. But... <laughs> It's still one of those things, like, even reading some of the ones that, uh, the comics that, you know, are considered some of the best, especially the, uh, oh god, um, not Alan Moore, but, um, Frank fuck, Miller? Who did Dark Knight Reti- right, Re- Frank, yeah, the Frank Miller ones, I'm just like, I find these so fucking boring, because I just want a good villain show, which is why I really liked The Long Halloween and Dark Victory. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, Long Halloween definitely is really split, and I really love it, because it's just like a gaggle of villains being hilarious, and what else do you mm-hmm. want? I mean, I love that. Right, and Batman really does have, I mean, just listening to the two of you kind of go back and forth there, it is clear that Batman has a really deep roster, like a deep bench of good, interesting villains, and the, I mean, I'm not going to lie. One of the fascinating things to me about Mask of the Phantasm in particular is that it feels like it almost doesn't trust that Andrea is an interesting enough villain and that it has to bring in Joker. And I found that very fascinating. I I actually disagree with that. I actually, I mean, mean, it's tough, right? It's a 76 minute long movie. So there isn't like a lot of fat here oh there's no fat here yeah i mean i will confess i didn't this is my first time watching this movie i always heard how amazing it was and blah blah blah. i i I do hate i did have spoiled that andrea was the phantasm so i really fucking hated that i knew that going in but i did not know the joker was in this movie and so when we get that reveal at the end or towards the end that he was the chauffeur in the picture i literally was like oh oh god okay well (laughs) i Well, so a big part of why I think Joker's so important to the story is because even though it's an Andrea story, it's a like it's a Bruce story, really. Like it's to me one of the I mean, we'll get into this, but I think it's really like the the ultimate Bruce story in a lot of ways. And with Mm -hmm. that, you kind of have to have Joker because I see this as Bruce seeing something past his Joker obsession for the first time and kind of Joker's always been his match. And like in this story, she's kind of his match. So I really think the comparison of them is important, which is why like, even though he's in it, he's not really, he's only in it for like the final third. Right. So I don't know. That's, I think that he's important for that piece. You know, me and my run times, because we, (laughs) we were all talking offline last night and Joe was like, Oh yeah, he appears an hour into the film. And I was like, actually, it's 37 minutes into the film. <laughs> it's a short film, though. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, well, 76 minutes with credits. I don't know if I want to say this now or maybe when we get into the plot, but I actually love Andrea as a character. Like, yeah. out of her, like, oh, she's her introduction great. is fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. And Dana Delaney does so well with her voice. But I was I was surprised at how endearing she was and how much of a, 
like a a good like an equal she was to Bruce, which yeah. I, which I didn't expect going into this. Yeah, and for me, that's one of the reasons why Mask of the Phantasm continues to resonate because when we look at particularly like Batman stories, but also Batman films. And I'm going to just briefly quote an article that I read by Brandon Bosch mm-hmm. called Bat Meets Girl Adapting the Dark Knight's Love Life to the Big Screen. If you think about it, Batman has all of these relationships with women, right? And they're either the wrong woman, like, you know, you've got your Vicky Vales, you've got your Meridian Chases, Chase Meridian. where they're clearly just... <laughs> Damn it, I do that all the time. <laughs> Meridian she's Palmer a... Chases. She's a movie right. invention, right? Chase Meridian yes. is not in the comics. Yes. She is. Okay. Yeah, and the same with Andrea here. She's uh, an original creation. But they're all presented as foils for Batman, right? And I think the difference for me is that Andrea comes from the Catwoman line of Mm anti-heroes, where it's not that she's not good for Bruce, it's that she puts him in a moral quandary about what is right, which is automatically way more interesting to watch. Well, the... The whole, oh, Bruce doesn't kill, you know, that's always his big thing. And the comics, I mean, again, Lindsay, you have more knowledge of this than I do. But, like, Mm -hmm. again, even though I said I don't like the Frank Miller shit, like, in Dark Knight Returns, like, Joker breaks his own neck to, like, frame Batman for murder. And it's like, oh, Joker, like, like, Batman lost it and killed the Joker. Um, In the uh, Under the Red Hood, which is the sequel after, you know, Joker kills Jason Todd, Robin, like, there's a whole thing where it's like, I want to kill Joker, but he can't, and that's why Jason Todd comes back after him. He's like, why the fuck didn't you kill this guy that murdered me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. what I like about this, though, and you're right, Joe, it's comparable to someone like, let's say, Selena Kyle, but Selena Kyle, for the most part, is always, like, from the get-go, from her introduction, an anti-hero. When we meet Andrea, right. she's not that. She is just a quote-unquote regular woman who's not a vigilante. Yeah, I mean, I but I do agree with Joe. I think, like, I was thinking about it when I rewatched it the other day, when I was kind of like, you know, who is Andrea that she's so much more his match than all the other women he's been involved with? And he's definitely much more Catwoman than anyone. Like, he's more Selena Kyle. Selena, mm-hmm. I mean, she's always kind of made to be a villain, but really she's just a thief. Like, she's a lot of things and she, you know, she joins her little villain gaggles every so often, but she's very mm-hmm. much a lone wolf despite being a cat. And she's, she's kind of a thief. <laughs> like, even in her many iterations, she's never really shown, like, doing pure villainy. Like, she, even in her movies, she's never, like, a, anyway. So I do think that well, it's always self-serving, right? Yeah. Like, it's never, like, I want to take over the world or whatever the fuck. Or I yeah, want she just wants to steal some stuff, which is very bad, like, very much the Batman universe's speed in a, in a way. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think that Andrea is very comparable to Catwoman. I see why they couldn't use Catwoman in this. And I think that they had to, like... I mean, Selena's had a few different origins, but they're always just pretty much just a woman from the streets trying to steal some stuff. <laughs> and um, I think they wanted to give Andrea a story that is almost exactly like Bruce's to not just like test Bruce's willingness to kill or not, but to really make Bruce. Every other Batman and Joker story makes Bruce look in the mirror at Joker, right? Like it's the two of them looking at each other and Joker saying, you're just like me. And Bruce is saying, we're nothing alike. And this time, no one's comparing the two of them and bruce is telling her that what she's doing is wrong and she's kind of like we're literally doing the exact same thing so he sees himself in her which is kind of the first time he's recognized that he's the same as someone that he thinks of as a villain and that's why it makes sense then that the joker does ultimately appear in this i 
I do feel like the Joker's appearance overshadows some of the really meaty character work. But if if you think about it the way that, Lindsay, you just introduced this, it's basically Bruce having this mirror held up to him about a person who's gone through the exact same thing is doing the exact same thing to him. And then also his ultimate adversary, who is also the one who usually holds up the mirror to him. So it's like the mirror has to. I agree completely. I also like that this is like a PG rated kids movie that like takes the i mean it's not it's not a dark ending because you know bruce doesn't die but like he loses the like the who's presumably the love of his life and she makes that conscious decision this woman makes the anti-batman decision to take the villain down with her and kill him and it's like Mm -hmm. that this came out it's interesting right because the animated series premiered two or three months after batman returns came to theaters in 1992 Mm -hmm. this comes to theaters about a year and a half after that but it's still bizarre to me that like you know, because Batman Returns faced a lot of backlash for being not only against the comics, but also just being too dark in general. Like that movie, I'll never forget. That's one of the first movies along with Beetlejuice. So both Tim Burton movies that my mother refused to let me watch. I was not allowed to watch Batman Returns. And it's because of the penguin. <laughs> he was terrifying. He messed me up as a kid. I'm like still scared of fish. <laughs> it's te- it's so scary. <laughs> and, but then so we have that that you know is like rejected. And, like McDonald's didn't want to do toys of it and whatever. But then we also have this children's cartoon and labeling it like that really does it a disservice because it really is just a noir cartoon that is appropriate for children to watch. But I wouldn't even say that it's mm-hmm. like for children at all. No. And I do think that's one of the reasons that it didn't ultimately succeed in theaters is because this is an adult film that was probably marketed, if it was marketed at all, to mm-hmm. children. And that's not a good audience for this and movie. And speaking of, so I, I alluded to this before because this isn't really a horror movie. So some people might kind of be like, oh, why are you covering this Batman comic book cartoon movie? It's been two years. Fuck off, people. We're going to cover whatever <laughs> we want. Because it's scary. Batman is horror. But no, but I, 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 I yeah, also, so I mean, listeners, if you haven't, uh, if you're not comic book readers, um, in the New 52, there's a Scott Snyder run, which again, like everyone told me to read when I was getting into Batman comics, but like. It gets, like, full-on horror. Like, yes. Joker cutting off his own face, putting it back on as a mask. There's one comic that's, right like, right before New 52 where it's the Black Mirror and it's, you know, Commissioner Gordon's son who's fucking mutilating people. Like, there's a lot of horror in Batman in general. But even in this movie, I think a lot of the Phantasm stuff is very horror-y. Like, from the Cemetery Showdown yeah. to the Angel of Death mm-hmm. Awaits. Like, there's some of this that I was like, this is quite chilling i mean again i'm a 31 year old man so i'm like okay well obviously it's not really affecting me that much but still like watching this i was like this is fucking dark for for what this property is in 1993 yeah it's very dark especially the present day scenes right there's not a lot of hope which is i think one of the more effective reasons for including those flashbacks is because it does add just a little bit of warmth and love to the rest of this very grim proceedings. Batman, like, I mean, you wouldn't say like all Batman media is horror, but Batman's always been pretty dark, and I mean that you know not just in appearance, not <laughs> yeah, just a color scheme, right? Scheme. Well, it's very gothic. But it's very dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Batman the character, and specifically Joker the character, really went on like a journey between. Being introduced very dark and then becoming super campy and cartoony through the 60s and 70s and then kind of coming back to being dark again. So like the Cesar, um, Cesar Romero yeah. um, version of the Joker was mm-hmm. like very similar to the comic books of the time. And like that Batman show seems so silly to us now, but that's what Batman was. Right. And then he kind of came back and became dark again. So 
Yeah, I think that, you know, often we want to say like, oh, Batman, the children's show, but he really like the character and the stories were always kind of the darker end of the comic book spectrum. And I know there's like a lot of debates now about, um, you know, comic books are really for kids and this is what they're doing wrong in the marketing. And there's, a, you know, a lot of people are really split on that and whether comics need to be as adult as they are. But Batman, even though he's had some like, you know, jokey, campy, silly times, it's always been pretty messed up and dark. Uh <laughs> I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, again, as someone who was who made his introduction into comics this year, I mean, I've read graphic novels and you know, I've read Watchmen, I've read Scott Pilgrim, like whatever, but I've never been a comics person reading some of these Batman comics this year. Like there has been some imagery that has truly chilled me to the bone. Like it is very scary. And that's also I think that's why I've always gravitated towards this property. That being said, though, even like the first Tim Burton movie with Jack Nicholson, like I remember watching that as a kid and I thought it was really boring. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> but even then, it's pretty scary. Like the Joker transformation is scary. And that scene where Joker gets, you know, um, water thrown at his face and it looks like it's burning him and it's taking his fake makeup off and revealing his skin. It's very scary. And like a lot of people attribute it that to frank miller um you know and even mm-hmm. frank miller attributes that to frank miller <laughs> of course he does <laughs> well, he is a narcissist but like you know it was 86 i think that he made the dark knight returns and that kind of you know created this world where now comic books have to be dark but yeah i don't know it's always been pretty dark and horror-y and joker's a very horror character like he's terrifying well it's it's i mean i guess this is pulling from christopher nolan who probably pulled it from a comic book but he's an agent of chaos right mm-hmm. like he's just so unpredictable and that's what i do love about that character mm-hmm. okay so moving back into the film at hand so batman master the phantasm basically warner brothers was really impressed by the success of the first season of the animated series which aired from september to september from 92 to 93 it's like 65 episodes, too. I, I'm currently on a rewatch of it, and I'm about halfway through. And, um, man, it's so good. So good. They assigned Alan Burnett to write a story for the for a full-length animated film. And then they brought in Martin Pascoe, who handled most of the flashback segments. Michael Reeves, who wrote the climax. And then Paul Dini, who's one of the creators of the animated series, who claims he uh, filled in holes here and there. So... I do wonder if it was like, hey, we have this crew of people who aren't super involved with the animated series, but we're going to have one of the guys who is involved to, like, make it right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, Dini's super famous. That's what I was going to say. They wanted, I mean, yeah, I can't guess, but, I mean, Dini's, you know, one of the co-creators of Harley Quinn for the animated series, so mm-hmm. his name means a lot. And I think if you're introducing a new character, you want to be like, created by Paul Dini. But that's just a guess. Yeah. Like his seal of approval. It's like a stamp of approval, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> Yes. You too. I don't think oh. we've ever done that. I Maybe mean, we've done that before, maybe like twice. But that, that, that's a good one. We'll keep that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the original idea for this film was to have Batman being captured by his enemies at Arkham Asylum and be put on a trial by them um, because they wanted to show that he was guilty of making him what they had become, blah, 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 blah. The idea's concept was considered too brainy as it required Batman to be immobile <laughs> for a long time. And they didn't think that would be good for like... What at the what at the time was a home video release because this was not originally supposed to go to theaters, so that right. that idea was actually used in um, the episode Trial, which was season two, episode three, which would air in nineteen ninety four. So they come up with a fully original idea, and the plot was influenced by the nineteen eighty seven miniseries Batman Year Two. You do have elements of uh, actually, isn't Frank Miller also Year One? Yeah, and so. Yeah, the year one elements are basically the balaclava scene. Yeah, like and like Bruce in a ski mask right. and whatever. Is that balaclava? Do you guys say that word? 
Balaclava? Yeah. Well, I now know. I want to know what... Are those like the balls? No, that's like the ski mask. <laughs> Oh. I was like toque, and you'd be like, "We don't say toque." I don't know what, what are, you're talking about. What are what are the what are the little balls on strings that Catwoman throws? They're called like um. Oh, I don't balls know. on strings weapon. <laughs> I don't know the ball oh, bolas. They're so called before. bolas. Oh. Bolas. <laughs> it's like when you throw them at someone and it wraps around their legs. And oh they trip. yeah 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 yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but I know but yeah, you your balaclava. The ski mask makes yeah, more sense. Yeah, your balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, anyway, so this is heavily influenced by Batman Year Two, and also, and this was the thing that I thought was really weird, but Orson Welles' 1941 classic film, Citizen Kane, um, due to all the flashbacks in the film and a story about loss and passage of time. Hmm. I mean, I can see it. It sounds ridiculous to say, but I think that's also our inherently adult brains diminishing the appeal and the influence of comics like it's much easier for us to say oh well you know this is just based on a silly animated series it couldn't possibly have drawn influence from a cinematic masterpiece that mm-hmm. is yeah um and also th- this film is essentially the bridge of seasons one and two of the series but it's one of those things where it's like season one is 65 episodes and then season two is like 25 episodes so it's and then it stops, and then they revive it, like, a couple years later. I mean, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. If they pulled a bunch of people who are working on the show to develop the film, and it takes years to make oh, this movie. it does not take years. You don't have... <laughs> it well, like it, could. it would have normally yes. no, taken No, you're right. It, it would have normally taken years, yes. I think, am I wrong that this was initially meant to be a series ender, but then they were like, actually... I don't. I don't going. know if it was a series ender. Oh, really? I mean, in the research that I did, it was just oh, Warner Brothers is like, holy fuck, this cartoon is great. Let's do a DTV movie for it. Mm. So I don't know if mm-hmm. it was going to end it because I mean, also, I mean, this movie comes out in December of ninety three. Season two starts in ninety four, like in the mm. spring. So I would imagine they would have been in production on season two while this is going through maybe post-production. I- I'm not really sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Nevertheless, um, so to bring in a villain, they really wanted to stay away from the traditional rogues gallery. And they really wanted to focus on Bruce's love life because it hadn't really been done before. Despite the fact that Batman Returns just came out. <laughs> we got this whole love affair with Selena, but it's fine. The design and concept of the fan- Phantasm was derived from the Reaper, who is the primary villain of year two. And Andrea Beaumont is based loosely on a combination of two characters, Judson Caspian, who is the Reaper, and his daughter, Rachel Caspian, um, both of them characters from the Batman Gear 2 comic book storyline. For the look of the Phantasm, they really want, actually, and they named, the Joker name drops this in the movie, they wanted him to look like the ghost of Christmas future for, for from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which, hey y'all, that's why we're covering this in December! <laughs> Right. And also because the movie came out in Yeah, December. it was a Christmas Eve release, which is so bizarre to me. <laughs> oh, the counter-programming efforts. <laughs> but again, no, but the, it's like, oh, it's a kid's movie. Let's release it on Christmas. But it's also this super dark, noir violent animated film. <laughs> Take your children to Gotham, world of the future, where we're going to make baloney to the head jokes, but also people are just going to get really horribly murdered. <laughs> I mean, I would have been like, hell yeah. <laughs> Well, we are special and different in that regard. But yeah. here's the thing, though. So the Joker's role, they actually didn't even want the Joker in there because, again, like I said, they wanted to avoid the traditional rogues gallery. And this is the funny thing to me. They didn't want any connection to Tim Burton's Batman film because, again, this is 93. Batman is four years ago. The Joker, for most mainstream audiences now, is Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't mm-hmm. want to include the Joker in this for people to be like, oh, it's going to be that Joker. Or it's not that, it, not my Joker. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so all jokers matter. But Fair. Michael, one of the writers, Michael Reeves, said, "Oh, we realized we could make his appearance serve the story in a way that we never could in live action." And I don't know if that means because, like, oh, we we have to introduce this new story in live action or like, oh, hey, Batman Return just came out and also the Joker's dead in that universe. So like, we can't do it. I do wonder if maybe it's also that, I wonder if it's they realized you probably wouldn't want to have Joker in your live action film and have to cast someone and really think about whether they're going to be able to bring the same gravity that Jack Nicholson brings. Whereas in an animated film, you've already got Mark Hamill doing the voice in the animated series and you know it works. So you could just be like, oh yeah, we'll bring him in for the last act. So early in production, Warner Brothers decided to release the film theatrically rather than straight to video. Um, That did leave less than a year for production time. And Joe, as you mentioned earlier, most animated films take well over two years from finished story to final release to come out. So they were really fucked <laughs> in this. Yeah. <laughs> I would be so mad if I was an animator. So luckily, uh, oh, I'm sorry. And so then, of course, they had to go over the scenes that they had already done, like I said, to make them in the theatrical release aspect ratio. The studio, Warner Brothers, was like, oh, we realize we fucked you guys really bad. So they gave them complete creative control, essentially. Um, and also increase. <laughs> I do love that. That's yeah. good. No, it is. I, I I think though, if they didn't have a cartoon, like a show to base it off of, they would have been like, like, like there was proof of concept there, right? They're like, okay, we know what we yeah. know. Y'all know what y'all are doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they increased the production budget to six million dollars, which again, like we're talking about inflation, like that's about twelve million today for an for a two D animated film. Um, so the, which gave the filmmakers opportunities for more elaborate set pieces, uh, which is why the opening sequence with the opening credits is over a 3D CGI version of Gotham City, which, by the way, looks fantastic. I love it. And it's actually, so this is just a random aside. So people pick it apart because it has this weird uh, 2D, 3D issue with the camera pullback where things seem like they're popping into frame that weren't there before because of how the camera pulls back through it and people don't like that. But I'm like, it's awesome. It looks totally surreal and super noir and I love it. And I love that it's going backwards too because the whole film is about flashbacks. Yes. Oh, look at you. I didn't think about that. (laughs) Me neither. No, I, 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 I don't know if it. this was my uh. Blu-ray transfer or what, but were there scenes that sometimes where things looked a little blurry? Like, I, there were scenes where I was like, oh, was this supposed to be in 3D? Because there were certain, I don't know if it was transitions or scene, like, like shots where I was like, oh, it looks blurry for a minute to where it looks like the characters are out of focus. Did y'all the have that issue on y'all? transitions are blurry. Okay. Yeah, between the flashbacks and the present day, definitely. Yeah. Okay. It's like Wayne's. Oh, I was going to say, it's like Wayne's World, but you have Oh, oh my God. Never mind. Oh, my God. That's, That's a, whole a whole other you know, yeah. conversation. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> the, 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 the combined run times of both Wayne's World movies probably equals the, the run time of the Dr. Sleep director's cut. So I will <laughs> so, I will watch both of those fucking movies if you watch the Dr. Sleep theatrical, uh, director's cut. <laughs> Don't but you all, me with the you, all, you know it's gonna be a terrible time. But you you also have to rewatch Happy Death Day to you. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Lindsay's on my side with that one, <laughs> Joe. Am. And listeners, sorry, if you're not a patron, that was the other one that Joe and I fought on because he did not like Happy Death Day to you, and I really did. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Again, I don't not You hated like it. it. I just oh my god. <laughs> move on. Yeah. Move on. Anyway, okay. So yeah, this film is finished in eight months from start to finish. Um, which is Oof. insane. The film was released through the studio's family entertainment division on December 24th, 1993. Now, again, 76-minute runtime. It opened in the number 11 spot with $1.2 million to go on and gross $5.6 million domestically. But 
it, 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 it's fucked and the studios blame warner brothers marketing campaign because they were like it they decided to make it theatrical too late into production and didn't have time to like effectively because again this is before the internet i mean in the internet exists mm-hmm. but like no one has it so it's just posters and commercials mm-hmm. and i don't have the exact date as to when they decided to make it theatrical but I would wager it's in the second half of production. I think they also only marketed it to children and people who were watching the animated series, which is like the whole point of a film is that it has to be four quadrant. You've got to try to go after a larger audience. So if you're only going after the kids, then you're missing the family crowd. You're missing the adult men who might be interested in a darker Batman property. So you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. I also wonder if it's like, well, Batman Returns didn't do very well critically. And it did do well financially, but it was a huge step down from the first Batman's box Mm -hmm. office take. So if they Mm -hmm. were just like, I don't know bring the kids in <laughs> like, I would say I mean like the Batman animated features this was the first one that they released theatrically and it was a huge huh, it was almost a moonshot in a weird way like it was I I mean I can't guess what the executives were thinking but I'm sure they knew what they were signing up for was a little bit risky because it's something they'd never done it's not the same as right. making an animated standalone feature it's an animated continuation of canon right that you know could be closing a series so it's kind of tough like there are a lot of batman animated features that take place in or at the beginning and the end of their animated series canon and you're asking a lot to get people to go to theaters to see something that's the end of a show that they might not watch like what was that um i don't know if that was released uh, theatrically but like serenity i don't know yes okay it was, so yeah. like oh yeah it was I-, I saw that in theaters without having seen a single episode of Firefly. <laughs> i saw it because someone told me it was good well, but i hadn't seen the show and no, i had no idea that's what was going I was on too. <laughs> I was like, what are Reavers? I was like, this movie sucks. What are you guys talking about? And I was like, oh, you don't watch the show? And I was like, no. Um, um, no. I, oh. but, but that is the other thing, right? Is if this movie is canon, and I don't think that the movie necessarily plays on your awareness of what's happening in the animated no. series, no. but there were probably people who said, I don't watch that series, so I'm not going to watch this movie because I don't know what's Completely. happening. Side note, and I will cut this out, but Serenity <laughs> is a movie that came out when it was I was 16 years old and I had my first boyfriend at the time and we were both like dry humping each other in his car in the parking lot and we got caught by security. Like so, my entire like oh, that's the my entire memory of Serenity is tainted by the fact that oh, it's that one time that I was almost like fucking arrested for dry humping my boyfriend in his truck after watching Serenity. Yeah, that's so scary and also a very funny but very sad and scary coming of age tale. <laughs> it's so sad that one time that you almost got your taint tasted, you ended up tainting. He tasted it before. Oh, it wasn't beautiful. new. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i won't cut that out we'll see um yeah. no you're absolutely not cutting it out <laughs> anyway so this, this, this yeah. movie is released to very very positive reviews we're looking at 84 percent of rotten tomatoes with an average score of 7 out of 10 um letterbox score is 7.8 out of 10 apparently siskel and ebert watched this on a tv screener because they in their review like lamented the fact that they couldn't see it in theaters and i have to say what a couple of fucking well i have to say that watching this movie last night because it was the first time i'd seen it i was like oh the sound design in this movie is really really good Mm -hmm. and i really would have liked to like had surround sound watching this movie yeah the score is phenomenal Well, the score credited to Shirley Walker, who um, did also do the show, but 
Um, she also did. She's dead now. Sorry, Rip Shirley Walker. But she did do the scores for Final Destination one through three and the Black Christmas two thousand six remake. <laughs> oh wow! Yes. yes. Okay. I mean, I love. I think Batman in general has has been scored so well. Like every iteration yes. of Batman has been so well scored. I think. Um, in all in so many different ways, what's really fun or interesting or exciting about this one specifically is that for the flashback scenes, it's like scored like a rom com, not even a rom com, like a straight romance. No, you're, is, you're right. Yeah, it's so like there's like those like the the flute and the clarinet, and I don't know enough about music, but the that like quick rising, whatever it's called, but um. Yeah, it's, like, so, like, beautiful, and there's, like, butterflies. You, like, picture butterflies and daisies and, you know, in all the flashback scenes. It's so effective. Like, the score is so, so effective in it. Mm -hmm. And that's really all I have. So, Joe, do you want to move us into the plot? Absolutely. So, we open, actually, with that great operatic organ music score as the camera flies backwards. Danny Elfman is credited as the, like, composer of the Batman theme, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But holy fuck, that operatic score of that theme, I've never heard that before, and it is amazing. It's really memorable. It's such a great way to open this movie, because I think it really cues you to the kind of grandiose tale we're going to get. Yes. This isn't your kids batman this show your dad's yeah. batman movie. it's not your dad's batman the animated series it's the movie version it's the cool movie version my dad did love the 60s batman like he oh, loved yeah. the ad my I husband loved even it. loves I'm that sure. movie. terrible and i loved it mm-hmm. i mean but the, it was great for the people when they were watching yeah. it it's only become ridiculous because we have decided again like we decided uh, to make fun of it because it doesn't fit our batman look yeah. batman and robin were in scooby-doo the new scooby-doo movies i think people knew it was stupid <laughs> well Ouch. um i mean they knew it was stupid but it's, it was camp like right batman was camp like they even wrote i mean whatever we can we go back. No, go to, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I will talk about the history of Joker anytime I'm given the opportunity. So try and stop me. So, but Joker, like I said, like we <laughs> talked about it, he started really dark. And then they were like, you know what would be fun if this guy was a silly clown? And then <laughs> they made him a really silly clown. Everyone was like, all right. And that worked for a while. So the Batman show worked. And now we're, we're back in the 80s. They were like, no, he's gritty. I'm telling you, I'm a big fan right. of Gritty Joker. I think it's like... I love Gritty Joker. I, that should surprise no one. Yeah. I cannot undersell the Snyder run of Batman. Like, hey, I mean, do you know... I don't think you understand how happy that makes me to hear. Oversell. Because... So, <laughs> brief history, <laughs> I, when we were... Like, with your comic I, books, everyone was like... You were like, what should you read? What should I read? And everyone threw all this advice at you. And I think I just wrote, like, Scott Snyder in your DMs, like, every well, five minutes for a week. So, you know, you weren't the only one to say Scott said. Yeah, the no, thing for sure. It's like comics are very intimidating to me. And so, like, you know, mm-hmm. I, you have like, like, it, like, it took me forever to realize, okay, cool. I have like this graphic novel, which is The Long Halloween. But again, mm-hmm. graphic novel implies that it was written as one novel or sure intended to be one novel no. when yeah. it's actually a collection of the, the, what, 26, 27 page comic books of mm-hmm. the arc. And that was a real hurdle for my brain to like understand (laughs) you're not alone in that like that's why i said this to you and i'll say it every time that's why whenever someone's like what batman comic should i read i'm like i will sit there and like write you know i'll draw you a map because 
I think comic books are really unapproachable for that exact reason, and mm-hmm. it's so intimidating. And, it's like uh, it's like yeah. innately gatekeepy, right? It's not even people. Oh, it's just the, the, yeah. the, the format itself is so gatekeepy. It's like, nope, you need to understand this, or you can't come in our club. Yep, completely, and it's so confusing, and I can't. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a horror show. It's a giant mess. So yeah, but the yeah. Snyder runs are so good. I mean. I won't uh, veer into a whole Snyder love fest, but he's written a lot of really mm. excellent horror stories outside of Batman. So it's no surprise that I tend to gravitate towards his Batman horror stories. And it's, he has a really, really great understanding for the character, in my personal opinion, which is correct. And someone who is not like have years and years and years of experience with the comics, like from what I from what I have read, because I have read a lot of the really important things. I have a few gaps that I need to like get to, but yeah. it it's. To me, it's the most interesting portrayal of the character that I've read so far. I mean, there are others, but for me personally, like, it works the most for me. I want to agree. <laughs> All right. I'm pulling you both back from Please the brink. Go. We're going to talk about right. the movie. Oh we're going to talk about. I never heard of it. Is it good? Okay, keep going. All right. So our opening scene is on the Shady Lady Casino, where Batman, Kevin Conroy, and this is a a sidebar. The other reason that we are able to cover this is because Kevin Conroy is an openly queer man. Oh, fuck. How did we not leave with that? (laughs) Because you're dumb and you wanted to talk about the comments. I know. (laughs) No, but Lindsay, this is something that was new to you too, right? I learned that yesterday. I did not know that. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I learned it fairly recently, but yeah, there was a, I want to say it was a New York Post article that was interviewing Conroy for something. Oh, it was when The Killing Joke came out, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. Um, and that makes And in sense. the article, they put Conroy, who is a gay man, and now it's canon. Like, he, he just is a gay man. And I think mm-hmm. that's fucking, you know, I posted on Twitter and I got some really good replies for it, but I also had people that were like, so? You can still like Batman even if he's voiced by a gay man, or like it doesn't make him gay, or like what does it matter if he's gay? Blah blah blah. I think that like what does it matter if he's gay? Like anyway, yeah. I want to reiterate (laughs) because representation matters. Well, and I want to reiterate, you know, it's like okay, well, hey, you know, if you're a if you're a queer child, a queer person living in you know Podunk anywhere, USA or the world, and you find out that the voice of one of the most like iconic iconic yes but also like of of a batman who is considered like the best batman quote unquote is a gay man like that's so inspirational it's so fucking fascinating it's great i understand why he wouldn't be publicizing that in 1993 when this is airing (laughs) (laughs) but that like now we have a world where it's like oh yeah by the way kevin conroy who voiced batman for so long and he is most people's like ideal batman is a gay man that's fucking awesome yeah Yep. And honestly, legit great voice. Oh my God. Like, this Batman voice is so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. None of that Christian Bale. Stop. I could scream about Kevin O'Neill's Batman for 100 years. <laughs> um, apparently, everything you mentioned this episode, I'm like, I could scream about that for 10 hours. <laughs> Get your own damn podcast. <laughs> but yeah, Christian. So we're, we're all in agreement that Christian Bale's Batman voice does suck, right? Oh my God. It's the worst thing. I don't have the energy, I don't have the time nor the inclination. <laughs> to discuss that stupid voice <laughs> yeah that's a hard no for me but kevin conroy's batman voice is so great it's i mean i guess you could argue that it is iconic because it's the voice of batman but i also like he made it what it is and, and i don't know he's the best at it yeah and he actually turns it on and off like it kind of just seems like that's probably how he talks 
but it's not. He really turns it on and off. And there's a really cute video he did near the beginning of lockdown. He read the new uh, Batman comic that takes place in animated series canon. He did like a reading of it. He read the comic to everyone on Instagram live. And he reads the whole thing in the bat voice and he does the (sighs) villains voices and he does all the voices and it's so amazing. But the whole time, like even though he's doing different voices, he's still doing like the bat voice. And then as soon as he Mm -hmm. finishes, look it up. Someone, people have put it on YouTube. He closes the book. (laughs) We'll uh, we'll link to it. Yeah, he closes the book and he just goes, and that's it. In this like super high pitched voice. And it's like, oh, oh my God, that's his real voice. He doesn't sound like Batman at all. And it's... Very, it's like your whole body will just like want to like reach and give him a huge hug. Like he's just the greatest. But yeah, he's like, and that's it. I hope <laughs> you liked adorable. it. You're like, what? Is he Mickey Mouse? It's bizarre. Um, so yeah, fun. Really okay. So yeah. So Batman is here to disrupt the activities of gangster Chucky Saul, who is voiced by Dick Miller. Oh, that's awesome. Good. Sorry, y'all. Dick Miller, um, really iconic, like, Roger Corman collaborator. Also, he's that guy in Gremlins. Yeah, no, this voice, the voice cast is stacked. Oh. When you start to realize who's playing who. Wait till we get to, really to Congressman Arthur, whatever the fuck his name is. I'm really excited for that one. Oh, my. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, before we can get to that, we need to deal with Chucky. So Batman comes in, disrupts him like Batman would, and Chucky makes a break for it, and he is attacked in the parking garage by the Phantasm, who is voiced by Stacy Keach. Who is the star of Road Games, which is one of our last Horror Cruise articles, Joe. Yeah, very prolific career. Um, so... Saul ends up dying in a car crash, trying to get away from the Phantasm, and because he is glimpsed at the scene, Batman is actually blamed, and he is dragged through the mug by smarmy councilman Arthur Reeves, who is played by Trace Hart Bachner. Okay, well, you read my cheat sheet, but y'all, everyone, Hart Bachner is not only the cocaine guy who gets his head blown off in Die Hard, but he's also the murderer, so spoiler alert, in Urban Legends Final Cut. <laughs> Hans, Bubby, God, an icon, an icon. Sorry, oh, <laughs> going, I was doing Die Hard. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh, he's not an icon for his role. <laughs> no, I was, I was doing Die Hard. Um, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. Uh, and I, I love this smarmy little bastard of a character. Mm-hmm. I actually wish there was a bit more of him in here, but that's okay. So Arthur Reeves is later seen taking a phone call with a mysterious woman, and she is presented, well, she's introduced on a plane, but we only see part of her face. It's concealed in shadow. We only hear her voice. Of course, this is Dana Delaney. We'll eventually learn that this is Andrea Beaumont. And it's such an iconic femme fatale introduction. It's really good. Queen Andrea. (laughs) So good. Love her. We love her. We stand a queen. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have no idea who this character is, but we will eventually come to realize she's incredibly yes, important. She's a new character for Batman. Like she was created for this movie, so no one would know who she is, which is fun. It's not like where you're like looking around the theater to see who knows who Apocalypse is. Like it's I was going to say, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> who knows this big blue thing in this shitty-ass movie? <laughs> Don't pretend you know. Um no, I didn't yeah. know who it was, actually. actually. Just when, like, in the okay, da- yeah. In the Days of Future Past post credit scene, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, any, I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was yeah. the exact had- moment I was thinking of. 
<laughs> we had so many thoughts. And folks, if you actually want to hear our thoughts on X-Men and that stupid singer, you can go and listen to our recent New Mutants Patreon oh episode. Because yes. we talk all about it. So let's in let's get an introduction to Bruce Wayne. He is at his mansion holding a party. And of course, because he is Bruce Wayne, we have to get this mildly misogynistic Playboy status confirmed. So he's got this gaggle of women. There's a really bad racist okay. joke that wholly has not aged so (laughs) i i think i know which joke you're talking about and i like had a moment of like is this a racist joke or am i just like hearing wrong no no you heard right so there's an asian character who comes up and she's really dumb which is like okay there's often dumb women hanging around bruce wayne but they talk about how you can't nail down bruce wayne because he refuses to get engaged and then she says something to the extent that there's no i in engagement oh that's not the moment i was thinking of and i'm gonna completely backtrack on what i just wait said. what, what uh, explain that to me because i did hear that joke but i did not register the racist i didn't register that as racist either I thought it was just like, she's a dumb girl. Well, I think it's telling that, I mean, all the women are dumb, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, women who just have a regular interaction with Bruce where they're like, oh, Brucey, how come you never call us, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then there's this one woman who walks up and she is of clear Asian descent. Mm-hmm. And the the other women are talking about how you can't nail. Right, right, right. No, I, I understand the context, but like, what, what, what's racist about it? But you're basically making the one Asian the dumb character, one. the person who can't mm. spell. Um. Okay. Okay, yeah. That's not what the, yeah. Wait, what, what were you thinking of, Lindsay? I don't want to say it because I was so wrong and then I, I was like, it, oh. I can, cut it, I can cut it out. I can cut this whole part <laughs> out. But like, what is it? So there's the, oh my God. <laughs> Guys, when I'm a politician, you're going to use this to cancel me. Um... <laughs> I um <laughs> the there's a black woman and she says don't say the m word in front of Bruce and I was like did she just say what I think she said Mary, and then everyone marriage. looks at her and she goes marriage and I mm-hmm. thought that she didn't say m word and I was like oh you thought she said n word yeah and I was like sorry what um and then she Listeners, was like Listeners, let us know the racist hotline of the horror queers. Oh my god. So <laughs> Call us in and tell us. God, I am so mortified, <laughs> so embarrassing. I was like, oh. No, um. no. I th- I think <laughs> both of y'all are offering fair assessments. I do think that we're all very primed to be on the lookout for that especially in the works of the 90 80s and 90s specifically. Yeah. Um yeah. I mm, I get where you're coming from, Joe, because it's very much like, okay, well, why? Why Why is this one character Asian if she, if the whole point of this character is to be the butt of a joke? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even the way that they have her speak is like, yeah. she, it, there's almost a suggestion that she doesn't speak English well, and therefore she doesn't know how to spell it well, and therefore it's like, oh. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, I always looked at it as like, okay. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to veer off this thought, but I have a follow up thought. I didn't want to. I didn't want to force resolve the issue. That no, no, no. I mean, I, I think that you're not wrong, Joe. I just like I didn't pick up on that. I'm watching it, but it does make sense. Like hearing hearing you say it. Mm-hmm. And Lindsay, what was your next train of thought? So, like, do you guys think Batman fucks, or do you think that it's just like all bullshit, and that's why he hunts dumb girls? I definitely think he fucks them, but I think that he just refuses to then do anything. With I them. always got the impression he didn't. Like he Same. was, a, like he was a. I mean, you do have the girl coming up that's like, oh, he he don't get with this guy. He's use he uses you and throws you out the window. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I guess maybe he did fuck mm-hmm. her, but 
Yeah, I've always thought that the Playboy Act was just that. Yeah. An act where he's like, oh, I'm going to pay to have all these women around me, so maybe they're hookers or whatever. But I never thought he actually was like, fucking in Wayne Manor. Well, it like very... <laughs> yeah, because it very much is. Like, it's very much stated that he puts on the, the persona of the like billionaire Playboy, and that's kind of his public persona that's right. not real because he's too busy mourning and grieving all the time for women and like so you think he's too sad to I, fuck well, I don't know come on <laughs> I don't know like no he is 100% fucking these women yeah. and then he's just like okay cool my relationship status is confirmed because I can just keep doing this right and like but I was like how far does the facade go like is he just like getting these women drunk on like a whole bunch of champagne letting them pass out walking around in his robe and then being like Alfred get rid of her yeah. Or are they like boning? But I don't we know. do we do get two full on like Alfred walks in on Bruce fucking gags in this yeah. movie. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I know mm-hmm. in, in what we see they're just kissing, but it's clearly like, no, 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 no they're about to fuck. And Alfred's like, Well, <laughs> I'm gonna like, turn around right like now. Rolling around on the ground and boning. Like it's not <laughs> it's not a peck. <laughs> well and, and one of the scenes is clearly like we cut to the next day <laughs> and they're in like half naked. So there's there's but that's why he really did movie. fuck Andrea because he loved yes. Andrea. But he's not oh, fucking yeah, yeah. these like mm-hmm. bimbos. No, he's absolutely fucking these bimbos. <laughs> Listeners, let us know. Penny for your thoughts. <laughs> does, does Batman ba- fuck? Does Batman fuck? <laughs> a thousand word essay coming soon. <laughs> Please, oh my god, please do it. <laughs> Could you imagine? Jesus. You know what? Check your inboxes. <laughs> um, <laughs> does Batman fuck an Send investigation? Send it to Pajiva. Pajiva <laughs> wants this. Does, does Batman, Batman fuck an investigation? Yes. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. That's the most I've okay. fuck in, like, maybe ever. It's um, so fun, right? It's just so cathartic. It feels so weird. I almost said the F word as I was describing it, and I was like, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Batman's surrounded by Does some Batman, you does know... Does Batman F-word? Um, tingle? Yeah. Does Batman make love to... Oh, God. Okay. Uh, oh, so Batman's surrounded wait, by okay. some gals. Do, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I hate the phrase make love. I think it's, it's the, the, the most disgusting thing. Like, like, make love to me is... Like, if someone told me that, yes. I would be like, get the fuck out <laughs> of wherever you are. <laughs> get the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out of my truck. This is where we dry house. Yeah. Get out of this oh car. God, get out of this, this outhouse. <laughs> Please take your tongue off of my taint and get out of the Serenity vehicle. There's no context for this. Okay, I'm so sorry, Joe. Continue the plot. Lindsay, I do that to make sure that he has to keep certain things in because then he can't cut around the jokes. There's no context for this. Um, Yeah, it's the worst phrase. I don't like it. It's terrible. Okay, so... Batman has been fucking these ladies, and <laughs> presumably, uh, but presumably, he, well, he's <laughs> allegedly, <no>. allegedly. <laughs> Your Honor, <laughs> I present this case to the court. That's the subtitle <clears throat> of this episode, by the way. Does Batman fuck? Does Batman fuck? Oh my god! Uh, so this is when Councilman Reeves comes in and says, "Like, hey, do you remember that chick that you almost married that one time?" So let's get to our first of many flashbacks as we get to see this meet cute at the cemetery as the two of them basically discuss casually that they each have secrets, and Andrea is talking to her dead mother, and it's morose but also very cute. I do love this meet cute again, like, like we've already said that they're kind of a match for each other, which again is really interesting considering that we just got Batman Returns a year before with the Batman Selena stuff, which is also kind of like, oh, it's a similar tale just told differently. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I honestly see so many parallels between the two of them, which is like, I feel like if you like one, you should enjoy the other one. I mean, I agree. So yeah, then we see the year one influence stuff where Bruce is trying without a Batman costume to disrupt a heist. And he he is successful, but he also manages to conjure up a high speed chase and blow up multiple vehicles. But he considers it a win. So yay. Yay. <laughs> classic and then he's practicing jujitsu the next day and this is when andrea comes over and they have more meet cute moments as she demonstrates that she's also very adept at uh, the art of jujitsu bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. But she's like self-defense classes. That's what women do. I just think do. it's funny that it's it's like sexy jujitsu. Yeah. Like, she hey, says like my you know. dad put me in self-defense or something. Because like we mm-hmm. didn't, women... Women don't do, like, karate or, like, martial arts classes as kids. We do self-defense. So. Yes. Oh, that's a good distinction. <laughs> well, especially proper ladies. For the ladies, it's self-defense. All right, so we're back in the present, and the next mob boss on the Phantasm's hit list is Buzz Bronski, who is voiced by John P. Ryan. And this scene is hilarious because it's just him in the cemetery. He gets attacked and killed because a angel headstone gets toppled on him in an open grave. It's visually great. This is the scariest. I mean, if we're talking about horror elements here, like, how much more horror-y can you get, right? Like, you have this phantom, and with really cool mist fog powers or whatever the fuck it is. So much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, stalking this guy through a cemetery and, like, getting him in an open grave. It's, it is some mm-hmm. chilling shit. It's really great. I love everything about the phantasm, honestly, and I was really upset that they like, it hasn't been brought back. Um, mm-hmm. it's like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it has been in the co- introduced in the comic since mm-hmm. then, because I know that's how Harley Quinn worked in the show. But I, to my knowledge, I don't. I think this is the only appearance of like the Phantasm. Maybe I feel like there was like some companion comic or something, but like wasn't much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It it hasn't been to anywhere near the extent of some of the other characters. Yeah, there was like a couple like companion pieces where Phantasm showed back up, but not like really. It's not like a long running canon character. Or anything uh, like filmmakers. This is your opportunity. Bring back Andrea. <laughs> or even, like, bring it back as a toy, because this character design is Dude, great. Dude, honestly, like, I would totally watch, like, like a live-action version of this. Like, you make, you want to, like, restart Batman again? This is great. Oh, yeah, I remember what it was. She showed up back in the Injustice League uh, Unlimited, the TV series, and then she was in, like, the video game. So, Bronski's men mistakenly identify Batman, because apparently if you have a cowl... You must be Batman in Gotham City. (laughs) So this prompts Councilman Reeves to try to mount a trap using the bat signal. And of course, Batman is like, you're a fucking idiot if you think I'm going to fall for that. So (laughs) he just goes to the cemetery. And instead, because he's hanging out by the Wayne headstone, Andrea's there and she's like, oh, okay, well, I know that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Oh, I also love that, right? Like this woman just immediately is like, oh, that's clearly Bruce Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, right. It's weird because I saw this as a fairly like young preteen. Like this movie came out when I was eleven, and I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it on VHS probably the next year. I'm guessing, and 
I missed a bunch of the more adult stuff, but I always thought that Andrea was a really interesting character. I thought that she was a reporter, like Vicky Vale. So rewatching it for this time, I was you surprised. You want to talk boring Batman love interest? Vicky Vale is at the top of that fucking list. She just screams. That's her only job. <laughs> just like shriek. Do as much shrieking as you can, and Batman will make jokes about your body. But anyway. <laughs> That's another discussion for another episode. <laughs> um, one ten. Um, go on. <laughs> yeah, go, Joe. <laughs> okay, so let's get another flashback, and we've got Andrea and Bruce going to the Gotham World Fair and the World of the Future. I love this look. It is actually very Superman-y feeling to me. It is. And it's. I mean, this is totally like useless trivia for anyone, but. Her Danny Delaney's performance in this film got her the role of Lois Lane on Superman the Animated Series. Oh, that's fine. I didn't know that. Yep. I think that makes sense, to be honest. Yeah. Because she's sultry. She's sultry. And it also, yeah, the future thing is cool because it's like the future and it's like messy, which is cool. Like when you see the future in the future, which is fun. Right. Mm -hmm. But also it just gives us a really good opportunity for Joker to end up back at some kind of theme park. Which oh, they love. Of course. 100. And I can't, it's again, because at this point, I still didn't know that Joker was going to be in this movie. And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, like, how did I pick up on these cues? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a creepy robot type yeah. Yeah, ride, like Joker showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So after they have this amusing date, Andy then introduces Bruce to her father, Carl Beaumont, who is also voiced by Stage C. Keach again. Mm-hmm. And at this point, uh, we also see that Reeves is here, a younger iteration who was introduced as a hot young Turk in the legal department, which also made me uncomfortable. I'd fuck him. Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) Y'all never found a cartoon attractive? Oh, my God, all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's despicable, so. (laughs) Yeah, but it's kind of hot, right? (laughs) I do have shitty dudes. Like, it's like not, you're not telling me anything. I'm like flashing back to playing Super Smash Brothers on my N64 and no, Melee on my GameCube and like Roy and Marth like had visible bulges, but when you pause the game, you could like zoom in and I would always zoom in on their bulges and masturbate to them when I was a teenager. Oh my God. That is not what those characters are there for. That's what 16 year old Trace thought they were there for. You know what? Good for you. It's very resourceful. (laughs) We didn't really have the internet back then and if we did, it was really slow. It's very resourceful. You gotta do what you can do, right? (laughs) Okay, so this backstory is all very important because, of course, we have to understand how Beaumont is connected to these monsters in present day. So uh, this is where we've technically already met Salvatore Valestra, who is voiced by Abe Vigoda. Mm -hmm. But... um, like we we met him in his old age version after Bronski was killed, mm-hmm. but this is him as a younger, more agile man. And I just wanted to take a, a quick shout out to Abe Vigoda, who obviously is famous because of his roles in The Godfather. But I also wanted to give him a shout out to a role that he played in 1986 in a movie called Vasectomy, A Delicate Matter. Is oh that a movie that is close to your heart for some reason? No, I think the title is fucking <laughs> Oh, hilarious. so you don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. It's a literal movie called Vasectomy, A Delicate Matter. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. no. I, I, um, I thought it was like a secret good movie that you just knew. Yeah, it was like a reco. Uh, <laughs> I have never heard of <laughs> never this. heard of it. Listen, Vigoda has a broad and robust resume. And it makes sense. <laughs> 
Oh my god, that wasn't even an entendre. Okay, keep going. It's apparently a madcap comedy about a guy who's about to have an eighth child and he discovers that family Um, members are stealing money from the bank. A madcap comedy as any movie called Vasectomy should be. Well. I thought it was a PSA. Yeah. I was like, oh, is this just like an after school special movie (laughs) about like how you should get a vasectomy? Uh, It's mad. Anyway. Yes, and we also see a familiar face in the car below, so the driver of Salvatore Valestra is familiar looking, and yet we can't place him. Which, so, and again, uh, me, Trace, forgetting, not knowing the Joker was in this movie, didn't pick up on that shit at all. Did, you, did y'all know this the first time y'all saw this? I mean... Lindsay's like, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Trace, it's me, Lindsay. Um, Lindsay's like, uh, my vagina tinged because I saw that nose, so yes. <laughs> how dare you our relationship was platonic yep i recognize that nose anywhere yeah it's it's a very distinctive nose but of course because he's not in his joker regalia he he just looks like a regular guy with a beak if i may up until now there hasn't been a lot of pre-joker joker ever mm-hmm. right India. i looked that up to see if the animated series had done it and they had not yet there was no jack napier yet in batman well sorry maybe not but i don't think there was a joker origin in the first season of batman the animated series there's not i mean the joker origin is kind of um up for grabs Shrouded in mystery. You know. yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> take your pick yeah so where was I going with that? Uh, yeah, until then, there hadn't really been. We have the Joker origin. Like, we got Napier from the Tim Burton movie, which who did mm-hmm. not exist yeah. until that movie. Um, so he didn't exist yet. So this was an interesting way of kind of bringing a character like that to life that didn't exist otherwise. Obviously, we have the killing joke that kind of takes the, the yeah. Napier in a way, but not really. Depends who you are and what you think. But that was... I still have lots of questions about how the Red Hood, how you see through the Red Hood, because it seems to be a very transparent thing if you're on the yeah. inside of it, but it just looks like a big red capsule that's on your head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's probably not a great a great outfit for for crime fighting. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we had that story in 88, but arguably, you know, the unreliable narrator, blah, blah, blah. And then he got a name in a pre, like his personality in The Killing Joke is that he's kind of like a loser comedian who gets sucked into crime, not by yeah. his own doing. And then you get the Tim Burton movie in 89, where you get Napier and he's already a gangster and he's already a criminal when he falls in. And that's kind of a lot of what you're getting here in Phantasm because now you're getting a gangster. I mean, he's just a driver, but he's in in organized crime. And you kind of, the implication is that he's a pre-transformation Joker. Yeah. Which is interesting. I have to say though, I love that this movie gives us tasters of both the Joker origin as well as Bruce's origin, but it doesn't actually give us origin stories for either of them. It's like, we know that you know this, we're not going to do it again. Master class, no pearls in an alley. Take notes. Oh my god, God. Take notes, everyone else who's made a Batman movie. Yeah, if I never see another Batman or Spider-Man origin story again. If I have to watch Uncle Ben die... Yeah, um, I, I don't want to see a radioactive spider bite anyone. I want it to be like the movie starts and boom, it's Spider-Man. A hundred percent. Okay, so Bruce tries to foil this other robbery after their date and he ends up 
basically fucking it up because he's too concerned about Andrea. So he starts to question his life choices. Does he still want to do this vigilante thing or does he want to settle down and have a family? He has this emotionally, like just this emotional breakdown in the rain at the cemetery at his parents' headstone to me this is top tier batman mm. like it's probably the strongest emotional scene in this entire movie and i think it's great and it's interesting because like it's batman 101 but it's done well and it's used to tell us something new about him which mm-hmm. i think is really difficult to do like we said like we're laughing about pearls and alley we've seen every origin we know that batman dreams about his parents we know that he thinks of like rose petals and bats we know that about him we know he goes to the cemetery and laments and talks to his parents but here that's like a very very familiar scene used to tell us something completely different about the character which like yeah my god and it also cues us to why Andrea is able to make that connection to Batman in the present tense, because she's like, oh, right, I've seen Bruce Wayne hanging around the Wayne family headstone. So when I see Batman hanging around the Wayne family headstone, it makes sense. And she's there doing the same thing. Yep. 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 Because they are the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So in the present, we get confirmation that Councilman Reeves is actually working for Sal Valestra because he gets picked up. I do love that comedic beat where uh, Councilman Reeves gets out of the car and you just have Sal, you know, because Sal's like, what are we going to do? The Batman's going to kill me. I, you know, you need to do something. And Councilman Reeves is like, well, you could always ask for police protection. And you just freeze on Sal's horrified looking face in the back of this limo. Mm, it's great. Yes. There's not a ton of comedy, but the comedy that is in this movie does work mm-hmm. quite well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it it's not gallows humor, really. Um, But yeah, there's like a dark, darkly comedic streak to mm-hmm. a lot of Batman that I think goes unnoticed a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're back to flashbacks, and we have Andrea accepting Bruce's marriage proposal, and then, of course, at that exact same moment, we get this stream of bats to fly out from the cave underneath Wayne Manor. It's, like, it's so symbolic, it's so on-the-nose symbolic that I kind of fucking love it. Love it. Bruce, like, coming, climbing out of his makeshift ladder from this cave, like, Alfred, it's bigger than the mansion itself! It's a great <laughs> cave! <laughs> Stop it. Um, <laughs> this would make a, it, it's a bat cave, if you will. <laughs> you cut that out right now. <laughs> Lindsay will not stand for I this. won't. <laughs> I shan't and I won't. Yeah, the bat thing, again, I don't know. I'm kind of having epiphany on epiphany as Joe keeps telling us more. But yes, exactly. Like, it's, again, something we've seen a million times. Anytime Batman's doing anything, where all of a sudden a bunch of bats fly out to remind him who he mm-hmm. really is. But it's kind of done in a really new way. I mean, it's no, not so dissimilar to the scene where he's sitting with Chase Meridian. And he, is it Chase Meridian? No, it's Vicky Vale. Ooh, Continue I think it's Vicky Vale right? in part one, where he's sitting on the couch and he has that, like, flashback scene. Or is it Chase? Oh, no. I'm going to get... I'm going to get laughed out of the fandom. No, I I think it is Chase Meridian, though, because that's the first Batman movie I ever saw, actually, was Batman Forever. It, yeah, he's doing the therapy, and he keeps seeing the bat. Fly. There's the flashback to him, like, falling in the in the hole into the cave, and he sees a bat flying towards him. Yeah. Because uh, it's all about fear, too, even though there's no scarecrow in that movie. What's the scene? Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. There's, like, the Dutch angle of him. 
and they like there's like a wine spill. It's fine. Oh, maybe that is the first. That it, that is definitely forever. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you're right. It is forever. Okay. Anyway, that's it's not um it's not unfamiliar. I mean, I guess at this point, if it's forever was after, but it's not unfamiliar that you know Bruce has these like maybe I'll move away from the life, and all of a sudden a bunch of bats fly up. This is reasonable. <laughs> A new way, even though it's the same. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if, like, Bruce Wayne ever just went on vacation or went into the office? He's like, you know what? Maybe this could work for me. I could just be normal. He gets off the elevator. It's like a wave of bats. <laughs> yeah, just fly wait, they follow him everywhere. <laughs> Especially Always when he's around. fucking all them bimbos. When, when, actually, when he climaxes, the bats come out from the floor under the bed. <laughs> they come out around He ejaculates him. bats. <laughs> they come out and they surround him. And, and then they scared the women away, and that's why they never come back. And that's why, and then, was, that's why they woman. never actually fuck, is that when he's about to, the bats show up. I can't even say and the word we're fuck. Back. It seems so unnatural coming out of my mouth, but it's because I'm saying, like, this guy fucks. Like, I'm using it in that context, you know? Uh, that's the only yes. reason I'm using that word. It sounds so strange. Yes. Sure, <laughs> yes. sure. This guy fucks right here. But, like, not Batman doesn't fuck. Coming soon. Okay, so after after this reminder that he can never leave the bats behind, he must always be Batman, we drop Andrea off at her home, and we see that there are men at the house. And of course, the character who will eventually be revealed to be Joker is uh, standing outside. And, you know, he kind of makes eyes at her, but whatever. So later on that day, Andrea sends Bruce a message that she's changed her mind. She can't marry him. She's got to leave. Bye. And this is where he puts on the costume for the first time, which, again, I love. It's like he thought he could have this life with her. And then the minute that that disappears, his decision is made. Mm -hmm. He will become the Batman. And then we get this great shot, though, of him putting on the cowl for the first time. Alfred's reaction Mm -hmm. to it is so good. Mm-hmm. Alfred gives great reactions throughout this entire movie. Okay, so we're back in the present. Velestra goes to the derelict. Your taint? What? <clears throat> he goes to the derelict World of the Future exhibit at Gotham World, and this is where we see the Joker, played by Mark Hamill, doing the voice. Iconic. Like I, so I. Good. He's uh, it's fucking fantastic. It's it's, it's great. I love it. I love him. I, I wanted to try to practice to do the voice for this. And then I was like, no, I will just embarrass myself because I am not Mark Hamill. That is such an unfair tease. I'm yeah. livid. Can you try it? Oh, Sally boy. It's not bad. Yeah. Terrible, yeah not I, bad. I, can you do the laugh? No, absolutely not. Try, I, <laughs> no, I can't do it either. Um, yeah. It, it's like it, you're like, oh, I can do this. And then the minute you go to release your voice. I, it, I think oh, it's something no, where you have, to, like, play, you have to play with it. You have to like, look at yourself in the mirror and like do like, try it a bunch of times. That's exactly what Mark Hamill did, uh, in fact. Yeah. I, oh, I, I believe really? it. Yeah. And he did it like in while he was driving. He would be like all over L.A. going like, well, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, that's horrifying. Can you imagine <laughs> that's a tease. driving by someone doing that? Oh, I'd be like, at that point, he was already Luke Skywalker. Well, he was dumb with Luke Skywalker. Oh, true. So right. not only would it be like some guy doing that laugh, it would be Luke Skywalker doing that laugh. Yeah. Oh my god. My vagina just tinged again. <laughs> Why was Luke Skywalker doing that voice? Mm-hmm. So much talk about Lindsay's vagina in this episode. <laughs> so weird, because that's more than I've talked about it in my life, probably. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Welcome go. back to Horror Queers. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Horror Queers. We're going to talk about your genitalia. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Start with the taint um, and we'll move our way up or down. Depends which way you're facing. We actually have though discovered that the better term for the vaginal area is cunt because it does actually encompass the entire like in- inside and outside of the vaginal thing, whereas the word vagina comes from the Latin word sword sea. Sh- sh- sword sheath aka a sheath for a penis which is Ew. really degrading in and of itself that is degrading yeah. i can't even say the name clint like clint barton like that was too uh, so many <laughs> times because it's like those two words mixed together and it just makes me so, i don't like to say them out loud that makes sense i get that oh, also now that's forever in my brain whenever i meet someone named clint Correct. It's I like went to high school with a guy with that name, and I, I like had a difficult time saying his name. I was like, "You don't go by your last name, you have any nicknames?" And he was like, "We don't get it." Yeah, I go by Clinty. <laughs> yeah, you didn't meet Mister. Yeah, ugh, ugh, yucky. Um, but not that those parts are yucky. I didn't mean that. I just mean it's difficult words to say. They feel unnatural. <laughs> so I'll go with sword sheath because to me it's easier. To yeah, when when you're talking about your down there area, just say my sword cheek. Oh my God, this editing is going to be <laughs> so fun. I don't even know what I'm going to keep. The anatomical words. For I don't even know what I'm keeping in and cutting out at this point. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, this is a nightmare. <laughs> this is a total unedited. <laughs> this is great. I can't wait to send this to my whole family to hear. Oh my God, yeah, don't pu- publicize this with your family. Oh yeah, parent parents don't ever listen. <laughs> yeah. Joker goes on a ride. Uh, okay, so, yeah, Batman visits Andrea, they have this argument where she tries to stand up to him, and she seems really empowered, and then he leaves, and she cries, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, <laughs> do a little bit of I that. I also, okay, so I, I did write this down, because, again, I knew it was Andrea, but before, whenever, like, Artie's, before Batman shows up, Ar- Arthur calls her, and she call, she's like, oh, Artie, I've got a killer day tomorrow, and it's like, get it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's in full villain mode already. She's making I've got a puns. killer day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of killing plans, the Phantasm does go to Velestra's home, but he's already dead. This is the moment that Trace mentioned at the top. It's, oh, yeah. No, th- this, I, again, the Joker smile is fucking terrifying on the victims. Yeah. This, rev- I wasn't, I knew he was dead. I was, okay, well, this is clearly not just this guy holding a newspaper while the Phantasm is like, the angel of death awaits. He's like, cool, just let me finish the crossword puzzle. It's like coupled, though, with the music cue, like a jump scare. And it's like, oh, we have a jump scare in this movie, and it's fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even just like the escape from the rig to blow mansion where the Phantasm jumps out the window and it immediately explodes. Like, this movie has a lot of really good kinetic energy mm-hmm. that I think it benefits from being animated in a lot of that way like people can just run and move quickly because it's animated it's also when joker realizes that it was not batman who was killing off this uh gaggle of gangsters Mm -hmm. he is like oh hold up and he does a lot of (laughs) math very quickly no he figures out it's andrea like almost immediately immediately (laughs) yeah because we're batman not a clue (laughs) world's greatest detective still unsure yeah so this is where we get not one but two chase sequences. So we get Batman following the Phantasm over the rooftops, and then the Phantasm just gets away, and then Batman ends up getting followed by the police for this massive manhunt at an abandoned construction site. Bruce is very nearly killed, and he's only saved because Andrea basically decides to circle back and save his ass in her cherry red convertible. It's it's also a good way to be like, okay, Andrea is not because I, I don't again because I knew it was Andrea. I knew the phantasm was Andrea going into this movie. I 
I, I wish I could have gone in blind so I could have seen if I would have called it ahead of time. I, I do think it's pretty obvious. But again, that's it's me going obvious. into the... Yeah, okay, cool. Glad to know it's not just me. <laughs> I don't even, like, get the impression... I get the impression from the first time I saw it, I assumed that it was more supposed to be a surprise for Bruce than us. God. Like, I think, I don't know. I think it's really, really obvious. The flashbacks make it, like, we're flashing back to her story. We're not even flashing back to her father's. I think, no, I think that's a good distinction, though, right? Like, it's a surprise for the character, not for the viewer. Yeah, and I think, like, Joker calling it out isn't even supposed to be, like, that would take a lot of the air out of the twist if it was the twist. Right. Because it would be more effective if it was a twist for the audience if it was if we discovered it when Batman discovered it. But we discover yeah. it when the Joker right. discovers it. That, that makes sense. I like that. So we're back to flashbacks and Andrea recounts that her father's debt is what got them into trouble. So he wasn't he was in business with them, but also he owed them money and they ended up having to go on the run because, of course, he couldn't pay it back. Mm-hmm. So this is why she ended up having to cut Bruce loose and she couldn't marry him. And this is where he says, you know, in the car, okay, oh, well, it is your dad. And she's like, sure. sure. <laughs> How about idiot. we take off our clothes and I make you stop talking? <laughs> and then Alfred walks in and he's like, oh, bye. Yeah. Oh, I got to stop bringing lemonade into these sexual encounters. <laughs> Anybody need a condom? Let me know. <laughs> Basically. Uh, I love you, kid. You keep me so young. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless you, kid. <laughs> All right. So she leaves and Bruce is like, oh, shit, that's how I know that pointy nose. It's the Joker. He's connected to all these mobsters. And then this is when Councilman Reeves gets okay. it. So the Joker so leaves him in the You hospital. said this was, I do agree. I think this scene is fucking fantastic. Like watching him try to suppress his laughter as like they're like putting him down and like Batman comes in and interrogates. It's a really creepy scene because we don't often, at least in the film world, of Batman see a lot of people suffer the Joker toxin and survive so that we get this mild dose of it. It's just, ah, it's also a really torturous way to die, right? Like imagine laughing yourself mm-hmm. to death where you can't breathe. Have y'all ever had that where you're laughing so hard that you actually do have trouble breathing? Yeah. Yes. It's, I can't even imagine dying that way. It is fucking like, the thought of it it's is terrifying. scary. It's like, it's, I mean, the laugh, like, oh God, that's what's another thing that's so great about Joker. And another thing <laughs> is that he's so like jolly and laughy, which is really scary. It's very clockwork orange. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, the Joker talks in so good. I mean, it happens a few more times in the show. It sometimes happens in comics or sorry, in animated features. And it does happen in comics, but there's really nothing like that really scary talking through the joker toxin where your face is contorted and your teeth are pointing inwards in this like Mm -hmm. weird oh god it's yeah it's terrifying it's very evocative imagery this is the moment of the film that stayed with me so like i remembered a lot of this movie despite not having seen it in probably two decades but i remembered this scene as soon as it started playing i was like oh this This one this haunted me and it's also a point of no return in a lot of ways for bats because he leaves them like that oh yeah i mean again it's not to die but it's very much like i'm not gonna help you well he he shows up and presses him for information yeah. Like, he doesn't care two shits about this guy, who he also clearly knows as Bruce Wayne because he was at the party. Yep. He's like, oh, cool. Okay, well, I found out that you sold out my ex-fiance and I'm fucking done with yep. you. Yeah, and he's just like, peace. And he leaves him there suffering. Because, I mean, it happens a few different ways, but, like, Batman can deal with Joker toxin. He chooses not to in that moment. Yep. He's not the morally great guy 
I mean, again, that's why I think he's much more fascinating than Superman ever is. Because he's got all these kinds of moral quandaries that he's willing to face. There's a reason why he doesn't just make a vaccine, right? Though it's because the Joker keeps making a different strain of Joker toxin. Yeah, it's always a bit different. Okay. And there's always, I mean, it's one of the, it's like pure bat bullshit. Yeah. It's like all the time. Sometimes there's a vaccine and sometimes there's an antidote. Sometimes it's a different one. And yeah. Bat bullshit. <laughs> bat bullshit. <laughs> it is bat bullshit. Well, you got to keep the stories going sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I suspend disbelief for bad bullshit all day. Of course, yeah. So after an attempted assassination at Andrea's apartment, we're basically into the climax. So she arrives in her phantasm regalia at the world of the future to confront Joker. And of course, you know, he's the one who killed her dad. He's the only one left. They banter. She does really well, all things considered. Like, she nearly bests him until he nearly sucks her into a giant wind turbine. I love a good wind turbine. Yeah, suck people into a fan all this day long. This is great. This is a fantastic sequence. And I actually really did... I mean, I didn't think she was going to die because it's like, okay, well, this is a final destination. But Batman cuts it really close with his bat cycle. But And this is like, yeah, she's basically out of commission from now. And then we get like your typical, what you would see in the animated series with a Batman Joker chase, right? Yeah. Well, and okay, so this is the part that I think doesn't sit quite as well for me from a contemporary lens. Because we get this great moment. You know, the Joker just fucks off to leave them to have this conversation. Yeah. And Batman insinuates that revenge won't solve her problems and she's like cool look in the fucking mirror but then she also just leaves because i I actually really liked this exchange the line is yeah but andy what will vengeance solve and she says if anyone knows the answer to that bruce it's you why didn't this age well for you joe because it's basically a woman telling a man hey i'm exactly like you and then she just says okay well peace out i'm gonna leave so that you can deal with this problem Like, I would have loved to have seen them try to team up, because instead he just mansplains, oh, don't do what I'm doing, and she leaves. I think it's part of the tragedy, though. I mean, I I don't disagree that it's maybe problematic by contemporary standards, but I think it's just part of the tragedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, these two people should be together, and they can't, because they can't let their desire for vengeance go. Mm. I mean, it's... and I, I I like that. I just don't like that. It's then like, okay, we've got this great moment, but she just fucks off, and then we get a kind of standard Batman Joker chase sequence. Again, I'm sorry to bring it back to Batman Returns, but it's not too different from when she's about to kill Matt Shrek, the Christopher Walken character, and he's like, "Don't do it," and she's like, "Nope, I'm gonna fucking electrocute this guy." Yeah, she doesn't fuck off. She actually does it. Well, Andrea arguably kills Joker. Right, but first we have to get this whole chase sequence like i guess i just wouldn't i don't know it doesn't satisfy in the same way like i i don't buy that she would just say okay cool i'll leave and i'll just come back in 10 minutes yeah i see what you're saying and i do think it's like really on the nose dialogue like as if we didn't get that they were supposed to be counterparts or no no like i like i like the dialogue a lot okay it's that she walks away that i don't like it's mostly so we can get which is admittedly a really cool fight scene in like a miniature model of Gotham between the kaiju Batman and Joker. Mm-hmm. So fun. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Godzilla, it's King Kong. <laughs> it's great. It sounded like a Nicki Minaj lyric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of like it because the implication isn't only that he can't do it. It's kind of for the first time he's seeing what he's 
not only what he's losing for himself, Mm -hmm. but he's also actually facing down the barrel of someone doing to him what he does to other people. Yes. Mm. And... I think that's what's so... I do kind of like that she's kind of like, hey, see ya. It's not only him facing... Like, he usually does this to other people. He usually kind of says, I can't be there for you, or I'm going to fail you, and pushes people away. In a lot of ways, she's kind of saying, I'm going to fail you. Like, if you try to stop me from getting my vengeance, you're in my way, which is a lot of why he's pushed people away. Like, he's got the, the reason why we see him as the billionaire playboy at the beginning is because we're seeing him in the version of himself he has to be to keep people at arm's length all the time. And now she's doing that to him, and he's like, ooh, ow. No, I do love I, it. I, I do agree with you, and it, it does make sense. It's it's She's willing to take that step because her vengeance is more important than her personal relationships. And that's something that he, dis, he is the opposite of. Like she, she starts this movie Batman's Equal and ends his foil. I don't think so. I think that she ends literally exactly like, like, yeah, they're almost each other's foils. But the point well, is they that... they never battle. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, in a lot of ways, it's just saying I'm doing exactly what you would do. Batman's walked away from everyone and his whole struggle the whole way through was should I keep fighting crime or should I give it up for her? And that's something he's never done or asked before. He's sometimes faced with that decision, but he's never given up crime fighting for a woman or for love or for whatever. And he's about to. And if she hadn't left, he might have. And he like asks his parents for the permission to do that. And so now he's kind of almost looking at her like we can be together. And she's like, no, man, I got vengeance to deal with. Yeah. And it's like, ooh. I will say this relationship evokes a certain sentimentality to me that I feel in thinking about Bond's marriage to Diana Rigg in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, where it's like, this is the one woman that you could walk away from the thing that defines you. And it becomes canon, but it's also a colossal failure. So there's a bunch of people who don't acknowledge its power right. as like a cultural mm-hmm. property. Well referenced. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so let's get to this chase scene with the Joker, which is pretty fucking great. It, it's a long fight. I love the animation with the rocket pack struggle so as they're good. just like flying yeah. around. It. I think of like you have to remember this is 1993, right? Yeah. Like it's pretty great. So they end up crashing through the globe, and uh, it looks very painful. And this is where Andrea returns, and the whole fair is exploding. It's gorgeously epic. Once again, that great score sounds as, like, the explosions are going up behind Bruce, and she's just like, cool, got my Joker, gonna see you later, bye! (laughs) Just disappears into smoke, Batman falls into the sewers... We get confirmation that she lived because she leaves the necklace in the fucking bat cave. What a baller move. Badass. And then the final scene is her on this cruise liner telling some dude to basically fuck off and Batman saying, okay, well, there's the bat signal. I guess uh, I got to go solve some crimes. Mm -hmm. And then we get some smooth jazz vocal stylings from Tia Carrere. Okay, before we get into the... Career of it all. Because (laughs) we need to give that as much attention as is due. I really like in the jetpack battle, and I might be misremembering this, so I'll defer to you. But there's these moments where, um, so Batman's kind of dangling off of Joker, who's wearing a jetpack, and they're flying around, and Joker's kind of like, let it go, blah, blah, blah. And Joker says to him, you know, if you don't let me go, we're both going to die. And Batman says that he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, he's fully fine with it. He's fully fine with it. 
for like the first and only time. Not only is he okay to die, but he is totally fine if Joker dies. He's like, that's what I'm here for. I'm not letting you go. And I think that's a huge turning point for Batman. Yeah. And it's because I think he feels a sense of responsibility to Andrea thinking at this point that she is gone, Mm -hmm. right? Like he has convinced her to give this up. So he will finish it for her by killing the Joker. Yeah. Which again, he ain't never done that for no other woman. Nope. Or his man Joker even. (laughs) But But also Joker is like a super hard for Batman, right? Okay. Yeah, that's Just double checking. Because <laughs> there is a line earlier when he meets with Councilman Reeves. He he mentions that he's nowhere near as cute as Bat Boy. And I know that he has a lot of amusing quips, hmm. but I was like, oh, we're we're sexualizing Batman and and boopsie, and right? <laughs> boopsie. Boopsie. Yeah, Joker's super in love with batman um you can read it any way you want i've always read it as that he's not necessarily sexual for batman but he's certainly romantic for batman okay wait just just unpack the distinction for us sure so i've always kind of looked at joker as asexual i mean he has a relationship with harley quinn that is presumably sexual which exists in this canon specifically um does joker fuck does joker fuck that's another that's the follow-up it's twenty thousand words (laughs) i don't Um, yeah I, i i don't think joker fucks i don't yeah think see so. i think joker fucks less than i think bruce fucks yeah. yeah i don't think joker fucks at all like i said it's it's there's harley has a lot of sexual moments but harley's also usually painted as pretty sexually frustrated yeah so i always kind wow. of assume that she's kind of like but she's not getting the d yeah yeah like, she wants it real bad but she's not getting it yeah and like i mean there's some versions of joker where he is painted as having sex um well actually literally in in the new the harleen comic that came out last year there are mm-hmm. sex scenes between harley and joker yes and so harley. there are some sex okay. scenes with harley and joker yeah i actually haven't i've been like i've opened that book 50 times and still not read it <laughs> it's um, good there are sex scenes yeah i know <laughs> what a glowing it's, recommendation i am gonna read it no i just like because I, I want anyway it's because i want to be like in the right place and i just i'm like no yeah. that's not no but that makes sense oh i see yeah okay. um so they definitely have sex scenes together and joker is sometimes in other canon which we won't get into sometimes presented as sexual um and sometimes a sexual criminal but that's not like generally accepted so i've always kind of viewed him as asexual i kind of look at him i just don't expect that that's something that motivates him even when he's with harley he's super uninterested in sex with her but you know though i'm not the expert just because you're asexual doesn't mean you're aromantic so joker could have romantic feelings about people without necessarily having sexual feelings about people um and i've always just viewed joker as having romantic feelings about batman i think he has complicated romantic feelings about harley and sometimes others but he's the, his his gaze at Batman is never as simple as just like I like this guy I want to be his best bud like he loves him for me yeah I, I agree yeah. and I also feel like Joker respects Batman whereas Joker does not respect Harley Quinn correct right yeah like Joker would ch- I mean when I say would I mean he probably has chuck Harley out of like a moving train to like yeah. get an inch closer to Batman so I mean I think he's got romantic feelings I mean we could you know fight about characters having relationships that aren't necessarily romantic just because they love each other but I've always viewed him as having romantic feelings about Batman I mean I think there's something to be said about a dangerous obsession and how we've frequently been asked to read this as 
romantic, mm. but typically it's not between male characters, right? Like I'm thinking of the fatal attraction, the hand that rocks the cradle. Right. Like it's it's always depicted as an obsessive love that becomes dangerous, but only from a woman's yeah, they perspective. Yeah, also usually if you're going to apply like sexuality to it, usually from a lesbian standpoint. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true as well. I mean, if anything, Harley sometimes fits that bill. She's obsessed with Joker and it makes her do crazy things. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we don't. Uh, yeah, there are Joker origins. We really don't know what Joker's end game is, which is what's so great about the so character. So scary about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes yeah. him so scary. Is we have no idea what he wants. So uh, there's no implication that his romantic feelings for Batman are his motivator in any way but i think he just looks i mean he's always trying to say like batman join me be with me you know (laughs) my tattoo says you'll always have me to dance with he wants to dance with batman right oh that's so romantic too yeah it's romantic like the way he talks about working together and being together is very working together Mm. and being together and so i've always kind of felt this this uh, romantic thing and i mean what happens here like you know joker always holds a mirror up to batman and says like look you're me we're the same i'm just like you you're you're as mad as i am and batman's like no because you kill and i don't and that's his big distinction and that's kind of where she comes in and is like no i kill and i'm exactly like you so we're all kind of same and you know would you say batman is choosing his love life with joker over (laughs) phantasm maybe We should have had thruple goals. These <laughs> yeah. crazy kids could have made it work. <laughs> Maybe. That, no, but that's actually a good way of looking at it. I think you might be right. Yeah, that's, that's always been what I've read into it, but I know that's not generally accepted. Well, everyone has an opinion, especially when it comes to mm-hmm. comics. Ugh, especially when it comes to Batman comics. My God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again. Like, okay, but what are people's opinions about Tia Carrere? Oh, my God. Tia Carrere of Wayne's World fame. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trace is going to watch it. He's going to I'm going to watch it when you watch Dr. Sleep Director's Cut. It's totally fine. Sure. At the same time. <laughs> she, she sings this final track, which, so she does sing as a character. She's in a band in Wayne's World. But as far as I know... Mm-hmm. And Joe's definitely going to know this. Uh, her, like, career isn't super musically based. No. I had never heard her sing except as a role. Yeah. I mean, we all know her from Wayne's World. You know her from True Lies. She's done some voice work on other animated shows, but not in Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and here she is singing this final song. It's such an odd decision. So like, odd. I, I literally wrote, like, smooth jazz, and then it comes to the credits, and it's sung by Tia Carrere. What? So what? I mean, it's like I Susie think... and the Banshees in Batman Returns. <laughs> face to face. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, I do love that so one, true. too, <laughs> Also, there's a, a lyric. Oh, I wrote it down, but I don't remember exactly. It's, like, the, it's the Blade Runner lyric. Like, she says, like, moments like tears in the rain. Like, she says that oh. in the lyrics. <laughs> I mean, she <laughs> didn't write bizarre. the song, probably. No, but it's still bizarre that there's, like, a Blade Runner <laughs> improv line in her life. Oh, my life. God. Crossover. <laughs> yeah. Batman what came out first? Maybe it wasn't so improv. <laughs> Is Batman a replicant? Oh, my God. Shit. That's another 10,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> it does Batman fuck? Is That's Batman. why he doesn't fuck, because he's a robot. He's a, yeah, he's oh a robot. God. That's why. <laughs> Replicants fuck, though. Oh my god, uh, I this hate is true. how many yes. times I've said. Tia Carrere fucks. <laughs> I was going to say, the drinking game for this episode was how many times Lindsay talks about <laughs> her vagina tingling and then also... <laughs> Lindsay doesn't talk about it. Joe talked about it as Lindsay. Let's <laughs> be clear. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Final mm. thoughts on Batman Mask of the Phantasm. 
10 out of 10 perfect flawless loved it i really like it i i was worried going into it that i was going to have weird nostalgia glasses on and i don't like i remember it very very well but I also remember it very fondly, and that paid off because I really do think that this is kind of a lost piece of the canon that I hope more people will discover. Yeah, um, as a first-time viewer, I really, really enjoyed this. And as someone who, again, doesn't typically like the gangstery focused plots of Batman, and this movie is mostly gangstery focused there mm-hmm. were still plenty of surprises, and I was captivated from beginning to end. And again, that 76-minute runtime, gold. Yeah, But yeah, I, I thought this was fantastic and i totally understand why it's held up in such high regard now i think it's considered a cult film because it's like oh people that know batman know how amazing this movie is but it's like you know all the nolan bros like probably don't know (laughs) what this movie is Uh, well (laughs) maybe i mean it developed its cult status because it sold a shit ton of vhs yeah oh when it came i didn't mention this earlier but yeah so it did flop in theaters but it did make its money back on home video sales and what a lot of people saw in this like I mean, we could yell about Nolan Bros not understanding Batman canon and thinking that they do because of a couple of Frank Miller references, but, <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. No. And, um, and I, I think we will discuss that next year when we revisit Batman Returns. Ooh, fun. Well, I was just going to make wow, the quick moment the that, wow, way to cut me off. So rude. You're not going to stop me from talking about Batman. I warned you in advance. <laughs> the The thing that's adapted to the Nolan movies that I don't think people really think about is the Talia al Ghul story from The Dark Knight Rises. Sure. Yeah. The Dark Knight snoozes. Yeah. Yeah. So in The Dark Knight Rises, the Talia al Ghul story is a lot like the Phantasm story. I think it's much more like that than the Talia story. The problem is that she's not the focus and she's just brought in as if people didn't know she was already Talia al Ghul. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Marion Cotillard is, like, sleepwalking through that role. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, but kind of how, you know, Batman, like, Batman loses Rachel and, like, sleeps it off. And then... Yeah, he does not give two shits about Does not no. care. And then he loses this Talia character and it, like, ruins him. And he has to be, like, dragged back into being Batman. And then when he does, it turns out that this woman was this villain that he's been Mm -hmm. fighting or seeking. So even though it's not super, super related, I kind of really... I think Phantasm was probably a pretty big inspiration for that, even more than the Al Ghul characters. But they're just more recognizable. Everyone knows. I mean, at that point, they know, quote, Raz Al Ghul, LOL, Nolan. Um, (laughs) It's Raish, right? It's (laughs) Raish. It's Raish. No, honestly, even in the era of Legend of Tomorrow, they call him Raz Al Ghul. And it's like, what? (laughs) Why, you guys? Y'all know comics. You're DC. It's DC's Legend of Tomorrow. Yeah, um, so Rachel Ghoul is already a character that they know, and they're more famous, and Talia is more exciting and has been in more things, so there was that piece, but I really always thought that that was kind of Phantasm-inspired. I like that. Yeah, that's like that. interesting. So before we sign off, yep. Trace, I'm reminding you, you that have we have a game. game. I know, <gasps> I, I, I did forget, to be honest, but go ahead. <laughs> oh my god, sorry. Yeah. Okay, so because this story is really important what would this look like if we made it live action i would like you folks to cast not batman but only andrea who would play andrea in a live action version of this okay maybe maybe this is if you say bella thorne no 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 no. it's it's not bella thorne i was actually thinking of blake lively like, but like giving me like a simple favor vibes oh so like cool sexy confident okay 
I don't love it, yeah. but I don't hate I it. Know, I know. I'm not like 100% sold on it, but it was the first thing that popped into my head, so I'm going with it. But like, Lindsay, you've seen A Simple Favor, right? Yeah, I love that movie. Okay, good. That's yeah, really that, good. That, that, that Blake Lively. Her voice is a bit different. Like, I, I don't think she maybe exudes the... It's not even innocence, but Blake Lively has a strength to her that I think she could put in Andrea, uh, Andrea really well. But, mm-hmm. nevertheless. It's funny, like, I've cast the Bat family in my mind, like, a thousand times, but... I mean, honestly, I would take Nicole Kidman. She looks fine. I literally was thinking that the character looks like Nicole Kidman, but, like, I don't know if you can, you know, take Chase, but... <laughs> but the reason why she's good, like, Nicole Kidman hasn't played, like, a happy character in so long. She's yeah, kind of... She's like, always really abused. Brooding... <laughs> yeah, she's always, like, oh, gosh. sad and brooding What now. about Jessica Chastain? Oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh. Christina Hendricks. That's not bad. Yeah. Mm, too buxom, if I did. Uh, Karen Gillan? No. Oh, Karen Gillan. Oh, okay. Rose Leslie. What? Rose Leslie. I don't know who Rose Leslie is. Egret from Game of Thrones. I don't know. She was in Honeymoon, that movie Honeymoon. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you're just saying words Oh, yeah, now. okay. And she is a really good actress. Um, Trace, I'm going to name someone, Lindsay. Unfortunately, I don't think you watch enough CW shows to get this uh-huh. reference, but... I'm going to go with Bridget Reagan from Jane the Virgin. She played Rose. <gasps> Ooh, yes, I love that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. She's got like that eye shape that could. Yes. Oh, I like that. And she does like a sexy, sultry, but super intelligent. Because on the spoilers for Jane the Sin Virgin, which I've done, but um, <laughs> yeah, she she's like a super duplicitous villain who's like very two-faced and living double lives. Okay, oh my God. I love perfect. that. Side note, y'all, if y'all have not watched Jane the Virgin, please watch it immediately. It's on Netflix. It's super great. Ooh, it's actually a great quarantine watch oh, as well. Because yes. it'll, it'll make you feel all the feels, but it's also romantic. If and... you liked Ugly Betty, watch this. It's very much the same, but with more telenovela aspects. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. I feel like that's such a good one. I can't. There's no... I don't know. I like yours so much. (laughs) You could just agree with us. I literally Googled (laughs) redheaded actresses, by the way. (laughs) And I'm like looking at that right now. And I'm like, oh, no. Because initially I did think like a younger Julianne Moore could also be interesting. What about Sarah Snook? Oh, my God. Did not get the reaction I was expecting. Wow. (laughs) Sarah Snook is... um, She was in Predestination, and then she's now in... um, Oh, uh, yeah. Succession. Oh, she would be interesting as well. That's a very unorthodox pick, but I love it. Yeah. She doesn't have that, like, femme fatale look to me, but I bet she could deliver the performance. Have you watched Mm -hmm. Succession? No. I've seen a couple of episodes, but I... I've seen Predestination and I fucking love that movie. I love Predestination. Yeah, when she's like Leonardo DiCaprio. But she she just, she plays a very like, uh, her character in Succession is very great because she starts off as like the good guy character. And then you're like, oh, she's shit like everyone else, um, which is really mm. fun. And she gets like meaner and shittier over time. And she wears really cool suits and she's like, oh my God, she would be, I, that's really great. I'm so glad that I came up with such a great choice. But Bridget Reagan is. <laughs> I'm on board with Bridget Reagan. My last suggestion, maybe, and maybe, maybe she's too, I don't know, Natalie Dormer. Oh, yes. I mean, always to Natalie Dormer. Yeah, like she, in everything. she's got that like, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of Natalie Dormer playing the before version of the Right, character. yeah, like not the badass mm-hmm. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she probably right. could do it. She just keeps getting cast as a badass. So, like, she probably, it's not that she true. can't do it. <sighs> well, listeners, let us know what you think. Who would you cast as Andrea in a live action Batman Master of the Phantasm? Because this has been really fun. 
Yeah, this yeah. is so fun. I'm like, oh, it's I don't such know. a good role, right? Like you think of all these actresses that could do it justice. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I think we're gonna wrap this up. But yeah. before we announce what we're covering next week, Lindsay, where can people find you on social media? And do you want to update anyone? I don't know your life or shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you gave me a very uh, meaty intro, so you covered a lot of it. But yes, follow me on um, Twitter, and I now have instagram so you can follow me there it is the same handle smash travis s-m-a-s-h-t-r-a-v-e-s uh it is spelled like smash traves but it is travis that is correct that's it and that's where you can find me most of my writing like you said earlier what to watch uh grim magazine uh cg magazine um and cgm backlot and a few other places of note oh yeah pajiba as well um, and I will be soon interim co-hosting for the Pod in the Pendulum podcast, which I'm really excited about. So if you like the way my voice sounds, feel free to hear me yell about other things I'm almost as passionate about as Batman. Yeah. Oh my um, god, I can't wait to hear you say fuck about like Jason. So does Jason and- fuck? Um <laughs> Yeah, ew. Um <laughs> Does Jason use a sword sheath? We'll have to find <laughs> out. Um yeah, it's so, so clinty. <laughs> Ew. Ew. <laughs> Ew, I hate it. Um, yeah, those are the places to find me. Um, <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> you, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, but we do love Apple Podcasts. That tends to get us the most, um, I don't know, clout love yeah sure and if you even want if you want even more horror queers please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horror queers we'll of course be doing our best and worst horror films of the year have episodes on brandon cronenberg's possessor and christopher landon's freaky and we'll have an audio commentary on dial code santa claus the r-rated home alone pre-home alone movie which is on Mm -hmm. shutter right now so give that a watch because it's a great christmas watch joe what are we talking about next week? Well, speaking of great Christmas watches, Trace, we're watching a favorite of both of ours and Canadian director. So, uh, hey, Yay. shout out to Better Watch Out. I'm really excited for this. I love this movie and it is a gay director, not just Canadian, way to bury the lead. Mm-hmm. But I will recommend, listeners, if you have not seen this movie, do not watch the trailer. No. I would go in. Go in blind. Yeah, go in as blind as possible. It is fucking awesome it is and also related to home alone <laughs> yeah a little bit okay well um until next week uh lindsay thank you again so much for coming on this has been a blast thank you so much i had the best time yay and on that note we can cross out batman mask of the phantasm yes and cross out horror queers <laughs> You've made it to the end of another bloody, disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody, disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>